The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Do have your Bibles? We're in Luke chapter 9, continue our series in the book of Luke. And um, if you remember, uh, last week we talked about, um, if you were here or not, um, Jesus was up on this mountain with a few of his disciples, and there was this glorious moment where he's transfigured, where his glory was shown to the disciples. And uh, today's passage uh, kind of follows the events immediately following when Jesus and his disciples are coming down the mountain. We're going to read it together, um, but this morning's passage really is going to focus on a number of failures that the disciples do kind of in, like consecutively after one after another, where they kind of make these foolish mistakes one after another, one after another. So we're going to explore that uh, together. Um, but there's four stories, uh, and uh, so we'll read that, and then uh, we'll pray together. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 37, it says this, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, that's Jesus, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast, uh, cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you, to bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and he healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is the one, uh, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And then uh, this final story, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is against you is for you. Let's pray. God, we ask for your hand to guide us uh, in our understanding of this this passage this morning as we look at um, just a few humiliating uh, concepts, a few humiliating instances of um, your people who are with you. Um, We ask that you would grant us wisdom, help help us to see beyond just the superficial uh, emotions of these to see what you're really communicating to us. And, uh, and God, we just ask for your guidance and wisdom as we spend our time here discovering this morning your heart for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I do want to mention as well, um, so we, uh, at the end, we will have a Q&A. So uh, through the slides, there's, a, there's going to be a phone number uh, that you can text. 
uh, that number if you have any questions about the about the passages we're going through it or any questions about anything I can clarify feel free to text that number or um, we can do uh, out loud if you want old-fashioned uh, at the end but uh, um, so that'll be on the slides as we go um, so if any of you have ever been to another country, you probably have a similar, uh, similar story uh, to, to anybody who's ever gone out of the country where you're interacting with another culture, right? Um, because cultures can be so different. There can be little nuances that you don't quite realize uh, that one culture behaves a certain way or thinks a certain way uh, or has certain customs that you're not accustomed to. Um, and, uh, and so uh, you may have gone that, and most people who do travel internationally uh, at some point will have some kind of like interesting, funny story about how uh, cult these cultures collide, right? And maybe there was something you weren't aware of. Uh, I have an instance uh, that happened to me one time. I had the privilege of being able to go to Brazil for a short period of time. And, uh, and while I was there, I was able to help out with some projects and things like that. And uh, there was one particular night that we had this meeting that we had to be at. It was started at, I think, like 7 o'clock at night. And so, um, you know, it, wanting to be on time, my shift ended and I had maybe a half an hour to be ready for this meeting. So what I ended up doing was uh, rushing back to my cabin to get cleaned up, you know, after, my, after this project that I had been working on. So I rush there, I get cleaned up. Uh, again, this meeting is all the way across this campus and I have to get there in a pretty short amount of time. And so I'm running back to make it to this meeting on time and uh, I'm probably like late or right on time as usual. And, uh, and so as I'm running, I run past this cafe and out of the corner of my eye, I actually see the person who's going to be leading the meeting sitting in the cafe. And I stop and I look over to make sure that I'm actually seeing what I'm seeing. And the person who's supposed to be leading this meeting is sitting back on the booth and he's got his arm up and he's just like chatting with somebody. So I stop, I'm like out of breath. And it's like, I asked the translator who was sitting with him, I'm like, are we still having the meeting? And the person who's leading the meeting stops and he looks at his watch. He's like, yeah, yeah, we'll be, we'll be by in a few minutes. We'll be over there just in, in a couple minutes. And, uh, and we didn't start for another half an hour past that. And, and so what you had was this, like, again, a clashing of cultures. Because, you know, here in the United States, right, we live everything by a calendar, everything by, the, by our watch. You know, when something is supposed to start on time, we're going to be there at that very time. But in Brazil, a very different culture where they're much more relaxed about that type of thing. Uh, he was in no urgency. He was going to finish his, his latte or whatever and then finally make his way over to this this meeting and it didn't start for another half an hour. And so I rushed for absolutely no reason. I could have uh, taken a cue from their culture and relaxed a little bit, but, uh, um, but that, that nevertheless was uh, my situation where I um, kind of clashed with these cultures. And this morning when we're looking at this passage, as we look at uh, this account, these accounts, these stories, uh, that Luke is uh, sharing with us, we, we, that's what we see on a regular basis is this clashing of cultures, this clashing of kingdoms. Um, and that's what we're going to be exploring this morning is how the, the, kingdom, the kingdom that we've contrived and we've made uh, as part of our existence and our, and our living, right, oftentimes is at odds with Jesus' kingdom. So this morning, our main point really, as we look at these, this series of uh, mistakes done by the disciples, our main point is to see how Jesus is moving us from having our hope in our kingdom, uh, our kingdom economy, to Jesus' kingdom economy, and exploring the hope that, and the joy that there is in having Jesus' economy. All right, we're going to look at that in four ways, because there are four different stories. We're going to see four different aspects. Um, we're going to see it through Jesus' kingdom economy of dependence, that economy of gracious wisdom that God gives to us. 
We're going to look at it through the upside-down view of status uh, that Jesus' kingdom provides. And then finally, Jesus' kingdom of unity, how we are unified together. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And, uh, and so let's uh, go ahead and get started. The first portion here, Jesus' economy of dependence, uh, it starts in verse 37, and I'll read those verses again, 37 through the first half of 43. It says, On the next day, when they had come down the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd, uh, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and suddenly he cries out. It convulses him, and he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and it will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast him out, cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear or how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground, convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. And healed the boy, and he gave him back to his son, uh, gave, uh, gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. So as we look at this kind of dramatic account, we see Jesus is almost immediately met at the base of the mountain after this uh, transfiguration, almost immediately met with this drama, right? And not only the drama of encountering somebody who is demon-possessed, right, which is enough drama in and of itself, but also that he's got a formal complaint to list about the disciples as well, that, like, I wanted to help, but they couldn't do it. They weren't able to do it. And if you remember last week, right, we laid out, we're not going to go over it again, but we laid out some parallels that the, the passage last week had with the Exodus encounter, right? As we look at um, how Luke is writing this to remind us of um, some scenarios that happened a long time ago in Israel's history, history, that actually continues here in this frustrated statement of Jesus. The, the, the words itself, uh, faithless generation, is actually a callback in and of itself to the scenario where Moses, he went up on the mountain, was given the law, and he comes down, has the face appearance uh, shining. And uh, when he comes back down from the mountain, uh, he's actually met by the people of Israel that have crafted an idol, that they've, started, they've not worshipped God, but they've worshipped uh, something. Uh, they've created a, an idol that looked like a calf that they began to worship that item instead of God while Moses was up on the mountain. So you have this parallel again, Jesus coming down the mountain and met by, um, you know, the, this, uh, this uh, inability of the disciples to continue to the work that he left him with. And the reason that that exists, right, is not, um, you know, so Jesus, I think, is being strategic with his words here and Luke recording it, is to, to point out that this is, has been a problem for a long time, right? Like, the, the, this has been a continual issue of the, of the people trying to, uh, trying to craft their own way. Um, and so as we're going to look at these different uh, kingdom economic or kingdom dynamics, uh, we're going to realize that, like, we actually uh, show up in these stories in a lot of ways as well. And so Jesus' word here, the word faithless, I think really is what the, the key point in all of this was, is that when the disciples were left without their, their head Jesus, Jesus went up the mountain, you have the disciples uh, kind of scrambling to find out what they're going to do. And so instead of trusting uh, Jesus and following the, the path that had been laid out for them and the uh, way of being faithful, they actually took it upon themselves. 
They took it upon themselves to, to be able to accomplish this ministry, and, and that left them with the inability to do it. They were left with the inability to be able to accomplish what God had asked them to do, because what God was asking them to do was something supernatural. And the kingdom that we've created for ourselves and the disciples replicate for us here is this, ability, this uh, professionalism, right? This skill-based uh, way of living that like we're always trying to be the, the best that we can possibly be at one thing to make much of ourselves, right? That, and that's not an accusation of anybody, right? It's just our natural tendency is to make ourselves the main character, right? Make ourselves the, the power source for what we get done, right? This shows up a lot in like work contexts, right? When, uh, when we have to like, uh, we're constantly being told like, you know, here's what is expected of you, right? And you have to meet that or go above and beyond, right? And so our minds are always constantly thinking, how can I produce this? But Jesus' kingdom economy is one that flips that. It's not something that's produced within ourselves to make something happen. It's relying on Jesus, relying on him to do what he's asked. Jesus asks us to do something that is supernatural. And at its core, it's change, like to change uh, our hearts, that cha changing of others' hearts is what's being asked of us to do. And here we see that we cannot accomplish that. But instead, we, uh, if we are following our own kingdom dynamic, we're trying to make, produce that change in ourselves, which will be ineffective. I thought a minute about, um, you know, different ways that that can show up, right, for maybe different personality types. So you, you may find yourself in one of these categories or maybe a blend of, or if you're like me, you're unlucky enough to be in all of these categories. Um, but I, I thought about, um, you know, maybe some personality types. So one being like somebody who's like an emotional type person, right, who um, maybe likes, um, you know, th feels things before they think through things. I, this is like kind of the camp that I find myself in. That's probably why I start there. That sometimes logic and reason follow like my inst intuition about things. Maybe you're like that, right, where, um, you know, that's kind of how you go about that. And, that. and that's an excellent way to be able to live life, if I can do say so myself. Um, but it can have its weaknesses, right? So what does it look like to, um, to live out in dependence uh, on ourselves from that personality type? Well, we could be doing things for affirmation from others, right? Rather than, rather than thinking about from God's perspective, how he would want us to live, right? Maybe, maybe a, a way that this even acts itself out is that we can be fishing for compliments, right? Trying to get affirmation from somebody else through manipulative means, right? Uh, or even just like doing things just so that other people can give praise and, and, and affection for that, right? So um, that's one of the ways that negatively that that personality type and, and one of the things that you can look for for fruit, like how you can know if you're showing dependence on yourself or dependence on God. Uh, another personality type is maybe somebody who, uh, kind of the reverse of that, is more logical in nature, right? And like uses reason to figure things out. Um, maybe one of the ways that dependence on yourself versus Jesus can show itself is in the way that like maybe if you fear that your intellect is being challenged, right? Or you're being questioned, that you can be defensive about that. Um, and rather than humbly learning, right? It's uh, trying to protect this, uh, this um, image of being somebody who is intelligent, maybe it's protecting that and defensive about it instead. 
Or uh, another personality type is somebody who's maybe like type A, right? Like you're a person who really likes to get things done. You wake up, the first thing you got is a list in the morning that you're trying to accomplish, right? And trying to, you're driven to be the best. Um, maybe it's uh, just, or being better than the way you were yesterday, right? Um, again, none of these personality types are negative personality types. They are how God created us. But one of the ways that that can show dependence is that you can be discouraged or even attribute it to your identity, that you're a failure if things aren't going the way that you expect. These are all just different examples of ways that, you know, you can identify maybe if you're depending on Jesus to change you, to do what he's called you to do, which is to walk out this Christian life, love one another, to serve one another, or if you're depending on yourself for the life that Jesus has promised. So we can look at these things, uh, we can look at the Christian life as like a resume building or a merit badge system, which the disciples seem to have kind of uh, fallen into here because they were not able to cast out this demon. But in reality, all Jesus really wanted from his disciples here was for them to walk in faith, to trust and move forward with what he, he left him to do. Because if you remember several passages ago when Jacob preached for us, Jesus taught them and like gave them the ability to cast out demons. Um, and here they've already kind of left that behind because they've swapped it out with a different power source. And so the hope for us here is that Jesus tells us that we can trust in him and that we can walk and that he's responsible for the, the fruit and the change. So we looked at the economy of de dependence on Jesus, um, and now we're going to turn our attention to the side conversation that Jesus does uh, right afterwards. Uh, in the second half of verse 43 through 45, it says, But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. They were afraid to ask him about this saying. And so we looked at, uh, you know, the, you know, this dependence on Jesus. Here we kind of see this dependence also played out in uh, Jesus' economy of gracious wisdom. And this conversation seems to be happening right like after the miracle, right? So the, the miracle happens. Jesus casts out the demon. Almost immediately following that, Jesus turns to his disciples and graciously is trying to loop them in on what's going to be taking place, right? He doesn't want them to be caught by surprise by the events that are about to transpire in his life. He doesn't want them to feel like they're not supported or um, taken care of or, or um, that they've learned about what Jesus is going to be going through. And so, and actually in this process, we actually uh, get to see a little bit behind the curtain, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But um, the way that this kind of identifies some different aspects to our kingdom, right, is that in our world, in our, the, the constructs that we have built, um, wisdom and knowledge is, is attained by this climbing of the, the mountain of knowledge, right? Like you have this, this uh, almost uh, picture of like, you know, all these different tools and like, you know, climbing up this mountain to try to reach peak knowledge, right? Like reach our own uh, um, self, uh, um, self, uh, self learning, right? Um, and what Jesus is, or what this passage that Luke is recording for us really shows us kind of what seems to be like two sides of an incompatible coin. 
Because you, on the one hand, you have Jesus, again, graciously like informing his disciples of what's going to be happening. Jesus is telling them plainly what's going to happen. And he not only that, but he also says, let these things sink into your ears. Like it comes with an encouragement, right? Don't let this just go over your head. Don't just run past this. Let this sink in. I want you to understand it. And then you also have the other side of the coin. It says, but they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them. And so you have this scenario that, uh, that for whatever reason, for God's purposes here, the disciples walk away not having the understanding gifted to them about this. And so if our world and our kingdom is built on like this, like self-revelation, you know, self, um, you know, learning about the, the, uh, the world around us, right? Jesus' uh, kingdom is one of gracious giving of gift of understanding, See, we, we looked at last week, right? And we're not going to dive into it again. But last week we saw listening to Jesus and what that process looked like through God's encouragement to the disciples to, to listen to him, talking about Jesus, um, saying, listen to Jesus. We looked at that last week. So we're not going to dive into that uh, too much here. But, um, but there is two sides to it. There was, a, there was a, a, an encouragement to the disciples to be able to stop and pause and let these words sink in. But there also is an aspect where they were dependent on God to make them see the truth. Now, the disciples were still responsible for this, right? Because the passage ends with, uh, they were afraid to ask him about it, right? They didn't actually take that additional step to like seek the understanding that they didn't have. But it does teach us that God holds wisdom. And in the book of James in chapter one, we see even that God wants us to ask for wisdom, right? That, that will be granted. God isn't in, the, isn't in the business of hiding wisdom from us. He wants to graciously give, us to a, give it to us if we ask for it. So while we can spend all morning exploring the different, the, you know, different ways that this could be per- perceived or, or look at it, right? The understanding that we, will need to walk, that we need to walk away with is that wisdom is something that is given by God. So a, a couple ways that this can play out in our life. So you may like be interested in knowing like what, like how do I even identify if God's giving me wisdom or if I need wisdom in something. Um, a couple little practical things that you may already be experiencing at different times. So one that I think of is like sometimes in my life as I'm just kind of going through the routine of life, I'll realize that like maybe a certain subject has popped up a number of times, like maybe in conversation, like I'm like, oh, maybe like I'm thinking about God's love a lot lately, right? Like the concept of God's radical love towards me is, is something that I've been thinking about more frequently than normal, right? Um, that very much could be and probably is the spirit trying to give wisdom to his people, right? Uh, and so it's that pausing and being like, God, what are, you, what are you wanting me to understand about this, right? And that asking for wisdom and, and coming to him in dependence there. Another way that this kind of shows itself out on a regular basis, right, is if you're reading a particular passage of, of scripture and, uh, and something sticks out to you that maybe it had you, when you're reading it, you hadn't noticed it before, or maybe it's just hitting you in a new way, right? Well, that's not by accident either. Um, that is another instance of God giving wisdom and a call to pause and reflect and ask more questions. Um, another way that I've kind of seen this in my life is like when like I have big decisions to make, 
Um, I'll notice that like if I loop other people in, and I see this a lot like with my wife and I, if we have a big decision to make, you know, as we talk about things, or um, actually this happens in like the elders meetings as well, like if there's something that like, like multiple people have to give input on, and so what happens is like you have a number of people just kind of starting out rough like with their own thoughts, and then by the end like chipping away a little bit until you get to this unified like concept or unified thought. Like, so my wife and I will have this where I, I call it like a, like a harmony. Like, well, it's like I, all of a sudden I can like kind of sense that we're synchronized in what we think and value on something. Um, and so that way of wisdom shows, up, it shows itself up in a community aspect as well. So we're called to really just pause and be thankful, right? Like if you think of the things that you know already, right? Like the things that God has already graciously given you wisdom on. Like there's a, there's a call to be thankful for those things. And then also an encouragement to continue to dive into and ask him for more. But it's not by our own um, clawing at things. It's not by our own merit that we get those things. It's by God graciously giving it to us as we think, think, oh, think, as we think, think through it. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, excellent. Yeah. All right, so we've looked at um, this, the kingdom of dependence, right? We've looked at, uh, um, we've looked at how uh, we're dependent on God to produce the fruit and change in our lives, right? We've also looked at this wisdom, which also kind of coincides with that dependence, that we're, we are dependent on God to give us this wisdom, right? Um, and now uh, we're going to take a look at Jesus' kingdom economy of upside-down status, where Jesus flips status upside down on its head. So verses 46 through 48 says this. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, or yeah, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And so now we have uh, this conversation between the disciples and Jesus devolving to just like the childish bickering of like, okay, like, no, I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are, right? Um, and we can't be sure, right? But it is interesting that just a, like few verses ago, like few instances ago, Jesus is coming down from the mountain with three disciples. So we saw last week, Peter, James, and John were like invited up this mountain while the other disciples were left uh, down at the bottom. So, you know, I don't know if that like instigated some jealousy that was happening amongst them. It's a possibility, it doesn't say. But, uh, but regardless, um, it should come as no surprise that this bickering is also a symptom of our economy and the, and the world that we've built for ourselves as well. You see, like, as I mentioned earlier, like in a corporate setting, right, or just in kind of just in life, right, the, you can divide these things up into like a social, political, or career climbing, right? You have what's called the ladder of success, right? You're like, we even have like an image of it that we're climbing up this ladder. Well, by necessity, and the disciples here too see it, right, when you're climbing a ladder, not everybody is making it up as high as everybody else, right? So by necessity, our, our system has developed in a way that like when you're climbing a ladder, you're climbing over others. And the disciples have this in their culture and the world that they were in at that time um, had that very thing, right? That you, that you were some, some people were even on that ladder naturally higher than others just by, by nature of the culture. 
And one of those rungs that may be on the lower part for the disciples would have been children. So children were kind of a, a means to an end in a lot of ways in that culture, right? Like this was a, a you know, creating of the next generation, right? There's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, um, thinking about children as kind of just this, this uh, object to, you know, raise and like just take on to the, to the next, uh, next stage, right? Um, but they were often considered kind of taboo, something that you didn't keep around, right? And so the disciples, or Jesus here, by bringing a child in, is flipping that whole thing on its head. He's saying, no, like, you know, the ladder of success is not going up, it's going down. It's putting others above you. It's receiving others. It says that even Jesus was aware of the reasoning of their hearts, which we kind of see that he was, he was kind of aware that this was the case, that the, the disciples had this, uh, this um, taboo experience of, of others, right? Um, and so he invites, he invites them in to do what he did in his entire ministry. That is to, to, to serve others, right? To serve the less fortunate. <clears throat> and we can do this too in the ways that we can feel like we graduate from something, right? Um, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this passage and like how it's played out in my life, I remembered uh, like one particular way that this showed itself was... Uh, so when I lived in Ohio, my wife and I lived in Ohio before we moved to New Hampshire, but uh, when I was there, I actually did car sales for a couple years. So, um, so for a couple years, my role was to sell Hondas to, to people who wanted to buy Hondas, or if they didn't want to make, buy Hondas, my job was to make them want to buy Hondas. You get the idea. So, the, so that was my role, but in Ohio, like, they also had snow, so New England doesn't have the corner mark on snow, like Ohio had it too. And, uh, and so sometimes we get that lake effect snow, it's really wet and heavy. And as the sales department, like we were supposed to go out and clean off the cars. Now, like if you hate cleaning off cars, like I hate cleaning off my two cars. Um, so like if you imagine hating that, like I had to go out and do it for like 100 cars. And uh, which didn't make me appreciate still cleaning two cars. You'd think that if I cleaned off 100, I'd be like thankful for two. It doesn't work that way. Um, but that being said, I got out there and I was cleaning off all these cars. And every single time it snowed, I'd wake up, I'd see the snow and be like, oh, I've got to clean off these cars. And we'd go out there and we'd get all dressed up and we'd be out there for the first hour of our shift, like pushing all the snow off these cars. And the entire time I was like, like, we're the sales department. Like, why, why do we have to, like, this was always the thinking of everybody in the sales department. We we're like, we, we shouldn't have to be out here cleaning these cars. Like, this should be for some other group, right? Uh, and so, you know, now in my defense, like, I'm out there with khakis and, you know, like a polo shirt. So um, you all probably have an image of, like, a sweaty car salesman, but, like, that's not what I wanted to be. So, um, so anyway, I grumbled about it a lot. But the idea being, right, that in reality, like, we also do this, right? We have this, like, level where some things are below us or beneath us. And Jesus is saying, no, like, we should look at it in a different way, where we are looking at it and where we flip it upside down, where we're not climbing up the ladder. We're climbing down the ladder and lifting others up. So we've seen that upside-down status, right? We've taken a look at the, the dependence for Jesus to, to act out in power in our lives. We've seen that we are dependent on him to give us wisdom, the wisdom that we ask for graciously from him. Um, and now, kind of lastly, this final story. Uh, it's Jesus' kingdom, of, uh, kingdom economy of unity, verses 49 and 50. So again... The, the disciples speak up. 
uh, to their shame. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out a demon in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. And so now we have, like, we've kind of made our way to the disciples policing God's work around them, right? Where they're kind of acting like the law, like putting their foot down and and stopping people. Um, Which, just to pause, is very ironic, right? Because just like at the beginning of this passage, we saw the disciples couldn't cast out demons because of uh, because of their changed mindset about this whole process. And now here, like, they're seeing people who are casting out demons, and they're putting, they're putting themselves as the, the ones who should stop this, right? And so, again, you know, in a kind of an over-the-top childish way, we're seeing that this, this kingdom can kind of become a little bit tribal, right? And so um, I think that that's one of the things that this identifies for us, is that we can be kind of tribal, right? Um, and so the disciples, you know, they, they kind of, they made it the line that they said, he says, uh, but Jesus, uh, oh yeah, but he does not follow with us. So this was the disciples line that they had created, right? Is that these people were not exactly following. They're not, they're not, you know, foot in step with us. Like, so therefore they cannot be doing this ministry. And so they've created, so John, who says this here, has created this, uh, this image in his head that, like, who was allowed to be in, in the in club and who wasn't. And we see that as well in, in our lives, right? We can draw lines. Um, Paul, in, the, in the, his letter to the Corinthians, addresses this very thing as well, right? You had in the early church uh, groups that were like, well, I'm of Apollos, right? And, or I am of Paul, right? They had like these camps that they had created for themselves that was causing divisions within the, within the church, right? Uh, we can draw the line denominationally for ourselves, right? There's like, you know, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, right? You can, you can kind of draw these lines for yourself. Um, or you can draw it politically, right? There's people on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle that, um, that uh, maybe are with us or not with us, right? But Jesus' net is quite, quite larger. It's cast much wider. And instead of asking the question like, you know, like it seemed like the disciples were looking for the people who weren't with them, right? And like, like I said, policing the situation. Jesus is more of inclusive, like whoever is not against you is for you casting this much larger, like I said, net of who's in the, in the club, so to speak. And whether you divide, however you divide it, right, um, the question really is, you know, how do, we, how do we define that, right? And I think back on, on Paul's example of this, right, that um, Paul, in two different instances, uh, he writes of the disciples, or he writes of people who are preaching the gospel and, like, to spite him, right, to make him mad. And in that scenario, Paul actually even uses, um, Paul uses that as an example. He's like, I, I don't care. Like, they can preach the gospel and make me mad. It's still the gospel, right? And so you have Paul kind of exemplifying that for us as well. But Jesus, again, giving us this hope, right, that we're not the ones responsible for saying who's in, who's out, right? It's as simple as whoever is with you is not against you. And so Jesus makes that very simple for us. So as we look at these four different accounts, right, we're left with this overwhelming sense of hope. As we kind of look through these different, these different follies, these different uh, foibles of the disciples, we're left realizing that Jesus' kingdom is a better kingdom. And kind of in summary, 
we've seen that in our kingdom, we are dependent on our skills and abilities to make a difference. But in Jesus' kingdom, we're actually simply, just tr- uh, simply asked to trust and walk. In our kingdom, it's our wisdom and knowledge and enlightenment that it's based on. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's wisdom that is a gift from above, and we appreciate and ask for more. In our kingdom, we have to fight for status. We have to make our way up the food chain. But in Jesus' kingdom, we're told to descend that ladder and lift those that are below us up. And then finally, in our kingdom, we are, uh, uh, we're tribal, right? We have to fight uh, for, to, to defend our borders, so to speak. But in Jesus' kingdom, instead, we are looking for those who are with us um, and rejoice in the work that God is doing in others. So in reflection of that dependence, let's pause now and just thank God for this and, and ask him for strength to live in that kingdom. God, we're um, grateful for this time and we're thankful for all of that uh, you um, have said to us, the hope that you give us. Um, we really do ask, God, that um, you help us to see that more clearly, that we would be able to leave encouraged, knowing that your kingdom is one that um, is of rest, is of dependence on you, that you are the one to do it, and that all we're asked to do is be faithful. And so, God, um, strengthen us in these things. Give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.